I get it. Some of y'all just don't want to look at me. Anything not to look at me, I got you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a chaplain, so I, um, I pastor at businesses. I've got 10 different businesses I go to, um, and so I'm, I'm out in the road all the time. I don't get to actually be in the pulpit a whole lot anymore. So this is a joy for me. It's good, it's good to be invited anywhere, and to be invited back hardly ever happens. <laughs> so listen, I really appreciate this. Y'all, y'all ain't got no sense, I don't guess. I don't know. Y'all, did, y'all didn't learn your lesson last time, but we're going to find out. Um, so I, I apologize. Some of y'all are looking and going, man, he didn't even dress up. Actually, for me, this is dressed up. And most of my time is spent in gym clothes or working in the restaurant around the grease and the fryers and everything. So for me, this actually is dressed up. I do have one suit. Uh, but I had a funeral this week, so it's in the dryer cleaners, so uh, y'all take what you get. Uh, if y'all get too mad, I got my running shoes on, I can split out the back, but um, anyway, it's an honor to be here, honor to be here for uh, for KD, uh, he is up there getting smarter, I'm getting dumber by the minute, so we kind of balance the whole preaching thing out. Um, I think he figures if if I come and, and act dumb enough, when he comes back, he'll seem smarter whether he is or isn't, so anyway. Um, I'm actually here today because um, it's kind of a selfish thing, but, you know, going around, and I'm, I'm in 10 different places all the time, I, I hardly settle down, and I, y'all, this is going to sound sad, I really need some friends. So, yeah, seriously, I, I need some friends, and I was just wondering, you know, I know it's kind of a lot to ask, and y'all don't really know me that well. Some of you know me well, and you're not you're going to say no automatically, but... Um, I kind of need some friends. I was just wondering if I could find some here today. Now, I, I do need to tell you up front, though, um, I'm kind of weird, okay? Y'all haven't figured that out yet. I'm kind of weird. Um, and uh, and I, I like to do kind of the minimum. So I'm, I'm looking for somebody, and, you know, anybody that volunteers. Y'all don't feel pressured, though. Nobody's volunteering. Um, I, I do need to ask a couple of questions. I'm kind of interviewing for friends this morning. Okay. I did tell y'all I'm not a preacher, right? So when I say stuff like this, I'm, I'm going to scare y'all. When I say stuff like this, y'all think, well, he's just being silly. We'll laugh, and then he'll forget about it. But I'm, I'm actually doing interviews for friends. So I need to ask a couple of questions, though. Like, for instance, before anybody volunteers, how much do I have to actually talk to you if we're going to be friends? Because I'm not really into that sort of thing, you know? So just keep that in mind. No, nobody, don't feel like you have to answer. Y'all are all very quiet. Um, and, and I was wondering how much we actually have to hang out. I mean, do we have to spend a lot of time together? I mean, can we just visit kind of like dysfunctional family, maybe on the holidays or something? You know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, I, I'm just wondering. I'm, physical contact, I'm not real big on, like handshakes and hugs and all that stuff. Can we? So I guess what I'm saying is bare, bare minimum. So, uh, any, uh, just any takers. Anybody want to be my friend today? A couple of you. All right. I got, I got two or three introverts that are back there like, yes. <laughs> Most of you are like, absolutely not. This guy has totally lost his mind. But, it, but it's funny because we all want friends. Now, the exercise is kind of silly, right? You know, but, but we all actually want to be liked. We want friends, you know. If, if you don't believe me, I look no further than the music to prove my point this morning. You know, um, Hank's friends are rowdy. Some of y'all are slow catching on now. Garth's friends are in low low places. Queen had a best friend, and Dionne Warwick knew 
what they were for. Man, I hadn't hit the right generation yet or something. Some of y'all... Are... <laughs> Some would say Carol King. I actually say James Taylor because I like his version better. Said that you've got a friend, right? Wow, only a couple of y'all even know that. Now, all right, Carol King or James Taylor people? Carol, everybody that says that's a Carol King song. One person. Everybody that says it's a James Taylor song. Yeah, thank you. These are my people. I can tell y'all are my people. She, you know, she wrote the song. She gets credit for it, but it's, it's by far it's a James Taylor song. You've got a friend, right? And Buzz and Woody not only said you've got a friend, but you've got a friend in me. Okay, younger generation. Now, come on. I know y'all know about Toy Story. Y'all have never seen Toy Story. Y'all looking at me like a cow looks at a new gate. Holy cow. You know, Buzz and Woody didn't actually say that. I don't want to ruin the movie for you. Christians, some of you Christians are saying, well, these are all secular, so I don't listen to that kind of music. I listen to Southern gospel, you know. But even, even being a Christian, growing up in youth group, we always had to have a theme song about friends, right? In the 70s and 80s, we had a spark that we wanted to pass it on, right? Oh, good gracious. This thing on? Uh, we, had a, we had a spark we wanted to pass it on. And then, boy, the 80s came around the 80s and 90s, we knew that friends are friends forever, if the Lord's the Lord of them, and a friend would not say, y'all don't cry. I see some of you starting to tear up, right, because you, <laughs> you're thinking about your friends. That Every time somebody moved away, we'd sing that song, friends are friends forever. We'd cry, right? And then, boy, the, the 80s and 90s or the 90s and 2000s, I don't know, I, I lose track, came along, and we had a girl group that was uh, Point of Grace, that was a circle of friends. Hit anybody? See, us Christians, we, we know about friends, too. We all want friends. In fact, we, we could probably just play the theme song from the show, and a lot of y'all go, oh, yeah, I know that one, right? <laughs> just a couple of notes in, y'all be like, oh, Joey and, and Monica, and I don't remember all their names, but anyway. We, uh, we think that friends is like a natural thing, right? You just bump into people that you're like, and... And you just become friends. It seems like it should be easy, but it's not. You see, having friends takes effort. And the deepest friendships take the most effort. Nobody said amen? How many married people are in here? Raise your hand. Having the deepest friends takes the most effort. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I thought y'all would see it my way. Huh? You think, oh, it's just going to be so awesome. We're just going to. It's going to be butterflies and rainbows. You know, we'll wake up in the morning and be thrilled to be with each other. (laughs) Then there's that chemical reaction that takes place when the gold wraps around the finger and all that stuff vanishes, doesn't it? Huh? She wakes up with morning breath and he wakes up rude. His whole body just stinks, doesn't it? Huh? (laughs) And all of that stuff is gone. It takes work, right? It takes effort. But there is one. Now, a friend, man, a friend will go with you, right? A best friend will never leave you. Now, if you got a brother, a brother's supposed to be even closer, right? Your family's supposed to stick even harder. But in Proverbs 18.24, it says there is one who sticks closer even than a brother. You see, we have a best friend named Jesus, And sometimes we think that once we have a relationship with Jesus, it just comes easy, right? Jesus is just all-powerful. 
But sometimes it takes a little effort, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Before we read the Scripture, I want to pray, and then we're going to jump in to Matthew. So let's pray together. Father God, we bless and thank you for this day, for all that you've done in our lives and all that you continue to do in our lives. We thank you for this place, for the family that you built here. God, I pray in Jesus' name that your word would indwell us, that your wisdom would overtake us, that we would uh, fall more in love with you today than we've ever been before so that when we leave this place, your kingdom will be built up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles and you're turning with me, this is Matthew chapter 22, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. I'll give you a minute till they, I know y'all got it up on the screen, y'all fancy like that, but some of you like to hold it in your hands, so I'm going to give you just a minute. And, uh, and I'm going to get through as quick as I can, but a couple of things, y- y'all was a little bit late starting, okay, I know, I'm not casting any stone, I'm just saying, so I get a couple extra minutes at the end, and don't nobody have to go to the restaurants to beat nobody out, because the food's back here, so I got you, all right? Oh man, y'all scared. All right, this is Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. You know it's going to be bad when the lawyer... Is there a lawyer in here? Should have asked that question first. Almost stepped in it, didn't I? Huh? There's no lawyers in here? Good, I can go ahead and say it then. You know it's bad when the lawyer jumps in. I'm just kidding. A lawyer asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen? Amen. So we have this conversation here. There's a, there's a group of Sadducees, and they're sad, you see. All right? Some of y'all remember that from vacation Bible school, right? The Sadducees, they're sad, you see, huh? because they don't have any joy. They're, they're too busy trying to keep all these laws. And so they're questioning Jesus about the laws, and then these Pharisees, they follow in. They're not fair, you see, right? And they want to question him about the laws too. You see, we think that in the Old Testament we got these Ten Commandments, so there's only these ten laws that we had to keep. But, of course, these Jews, now listen, they memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. You realize that? They didn't have any way to write it down, so this was all passed down orally. First five books, Genesis, Exodus. Oh, yeah. See, some of y'all skip that book. Y'all don't like to read it. I'd read through my Bible if it wasn't for Leviticus tripping me up every year, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Imagine that. All five of those books I just memorized, right? And in those Old Testament books, those books of the Torah, there were 613 commandments that they had pulled out. 613 that they felt were very important to keep. That, that was the way that you stayed close to God as your friend was through these 613 commandments. There was 248 positive affirmations or, or 248 things that you are supposed to do and 365 things that you don't do. Now listen, I don't know if this is, all the kids went back there, most of the kids, some of you kids, listen, if you think your parents are hard on you, back in the Old Testament, they had one don't do that for every day of the year. Literally, a different one for every day of the year, right? Woo, can you imagine keeping all that stuff? 
And so they're grilling. They want to make sure that Jesus knows the commandments, right? He's, he's walking around claiming to be a teacher. They said, let's see if you know this one, right? 613 laws. All we need you to do, the lawyer, trying to trick him. All we need you to do, give us the number one. Every good Jew, even if you didn't have all those five books memorized, everybody knew the most important commandment. And it was given in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. There was what they called the Shema. It's the most important law. In fact, this law was so important that when, when the law was given, it, it was said that they should write it on their doorpost and keep it on the fronts of their minds, right? And so they took that so literally that good Jews today all have what's called a mezuzah on their front doorpost. It's a little box with Hebrew letters on the outside of it, and inside that box you will find a copy of the Shema, of this law. And every time they go in or come out, they would touch that box to remind themselves of this most important law. The very Orthodox Jews have what's called a phylactery. It's a box with leather straps. They strap it around their forehead. You ever seen them at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem? Anybody ever seen this? They got this box on their head. It's called a phylactery. And they were so serious about keeping it on the front of their mind that they would actually keep a box with the Shema inside of it on their forehead. You think they're pretty serious about this? They want to make sure that he knows this one most important law. And everybody knows it. Of course Jesus knew it, right? This one most important law is the Lord is one. You must love Him with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And Jesus, of course, comes up with the right answer. The problem was everybody knew what you were supposed to do with your best friend. Everybody knew how you were supposed to maintain friendship with God. They knew, but they didn't do. And you see, that's the breakdown a lot of times with us and our friends. You see, loving people, having a friend, doing is the key. Love is a verb. It's an action word. We treat it like it's a noun, but it's an action word. In fact, in James, it says, don't just hear the word, but what? Do it, right? We're supposed to be doing it. If you don't think that we have misunderstood this, all, we don't have to look any further than the divorce rate, Right? Because again, we think love is this thing you just fall into. But you fall in a puddle. You fall off a cliff. You don't fall into love. You make a decision to love somebody. You understand? I don't like that phrase, we fell in love. That sounds like I stepped in something, I'm going to scrape it off my shoe later. I fell in love. You don't fall in love. That's a feeling you get in the beginning. But every day thereafter, you decide to love somebody. You decide to take action on what it is that you felt, right? Love is a verb. Now, if love is a verb, and he gives us these, these ways to keep up our friendship with God, this, this most important way that we have a relationship with God is that we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. I want to look today for just a few minutes at those three ways that he gives us to love him. The first way is we love Him with our heart. Now listen, isn't that, that's, that's so cute. Isn't that warm and fuzzy? Hmm? Go to Walmart and there's hearts everywhere right now in there. They, they put them up about December 20th, getting ready for Valentine's. Make sure you have plenty of time to spend all your money. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Valentine's Day. So we got hearts up, red and pink everywhere. 
That's what this is about, right? Love them with your heart. This is all about warm, fuzzy feelings. No, in fact, we get the heart and the soul mixed up a lot of the time. In fact, sometimes the heart is used interchangeably, in, even in Scripture, to denote the, the actual heart and sometimes the soul. Okay, So I want to clarify. The heart that we're talking about here denotes your spirit. Okay, This is not your emotions that we're talking about now. Your emotions are seated in your soul, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, we're going to talk about your heart. Your heart is your spiritual place. Your heart is this mystical place where God lives inside your life. God dwells in your heart. And I wanted to just share, lest we forget, some of the ways that the Bible talks about the heart. In Psalm 51.10, it says, Create in me a clean heart. In Psalm 119.11, it says, I hide your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. In 1 Samuel 16.7, it says that man looks on the outside, but God looks on your heart. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it, tr- it says that we trust Him with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, right? In fact, in verses 1 and 2, it, it says that we hide His commands in our heart. In Proverbs 4, 23, it says we're supposed to guard our heart. In Matthew 5, 8, it says that the pure in heart will see God. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, it says that His peace guards our heart. But in Psalm 51, 17, it says that a contrite heart is what God saves. A contrite heart, a broken and contrite heart, God won't despise. So you want to know how you have a relationship with God? It requires a broken heart. It requires your heart to be busted so that all of you can leak out and He can get in. Okay? You were created in the image of God. We're told that in Genesis 1.26. Y'all can check me on that. I'm not real sure. I didn't write that down, but I think that's the verse. Genesis 1:26. Created in the image of God. We were created triune in three parts. You see, we have a spirit, a spiritual part. That's the, the part of us that communes with God, our best friend. But there's also a, a soul part of us. That soul represents the Father God. He's the essence of the Trinity, right? And then we also, of course, have a flesh. That's the part that represents Jesus the part of Him that we can see and touch and feel. We were created in His image, but our sin in the Garden of Eden broke our unity with the Spirit. You know, before that, Adam and Eve just walked with God in the cool of the day. How nice would that be? Just walking along the garden, just walking through the crops, and God pops in and walks next to you for a while. Then you don't have to try to decipher what He's thinking or how He feels. Just talk to Him. That must have been nice. But sin came in and broke that communion, broke that unity with the Spirit. And now, because of that, because of that emptiness, because of that brokenness, there is a God-shaped hole inside of every one of us that's only filled by the Spirit of God. Now, this is very important because I'm going to continue going for all of us who are already believers But I need to tell you today that if you are not a believer, if you have never come to the place in your life where you emptied yourself, where you came to the realization that there's no way that you could have communion with God on your own, and you just gave up, and God came in and swept out your house and moved into your house. In other words, God took what you had and filled your heart with Himself. If you've never been saved, if you've never 
trusted your life to Jesus, none of the rest of this is going to make any sense. Today is your day of salvation. Today is the day that you decide to let him in, right? Because your heart will only be filled by him. If you've never asked him to do that, today is your day. But for those of us who are Christians, who've already invited Jesus to live in our hearts, the way that I want you to summarize how do I love God, how do I love my best friend with all of my heart, is I stop filling that heart, I stop filling that void with other stuff. We make a habit of filling our hearts with other stuff, right? There's an encounter in John chapter 4 where Jesus walks to a well alone, and there's a Samaritan woman, right? Ladies, no offense, but, but women weren't first-class humans in this day, right? And Samaritans were even worse. This wasn't just a Samaritan woman, but this was an uh, immoral Samaritan woman. We know that because Jesus walks up in the afternoon, and she's there alone getting water. You see, all the other women came in the morning time to get water. Anybody in here grow up without running water in your house? One person? Okay. If you had to walk to the well and get water and carry it back, would you do it in the cool of the morning or the heat of the afternoon? See, that's what they all knew too. In fact, everybody went at the same time. It was like a social event. All the women would get together and have the little hen party. They'd talk about how dumb their men were and how rowdy their kids were and the kids were running around being rowdy and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, we know. Some of y'all women, yeah, we know. We know how that happens. We don't know all of it, though, so if you want to tell us later. But anyway, all the women would get together in the mornings, right? This lady didn't want to be bothered by any other people, so she would come in the afternoon to make sure that she didn't run into anybody else. She wanted to be left alone. She didn't want anybody judging her because of her sin. Jesus comes up and he has an encounter. He says, hey, can I get something to drink? She said, man, you didn't even bring a bucket with you. Right, how am I supposed to give you something to drink? Now think about this, because this, some of the stuff in the Bible is pretty funny. She says, you didn't, even, you didn't even bring a bucket. You ain't got nothing to carry water with. Now imagine Jesus is like, put it right there. How are you going to carry water home like this? How much you think it's going to be left, right? That's pretty funny. So you ain't even got a bucket. He says, man, if you knew what kind of water I had, right? Because I have water that will never run out. It will spring up inside of you like a, like a spring, like a well. She says, well, hey, I identify with this woman. She's kind of dense. She still didn't get it yet, right? He said, ooh, give me some of that water. I keep from walking to the well. Clearly she doesn't like to be there, right? Man, give me that kind of water. And he starts talking about this spiritual water. And the next thing he asks her is he says, uh, I'll tell you what, let's talk about your husband. Bring your husband out here. She says, I, I don't have a husband. I've been married before, but I, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, you're right. You've been married five times, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. Now, based on what you know about Jesus, is Jesus looking at this woman and going, you're right. You've been married five times, and the one you're married to now ain't your husband. Is that what he's doing? Why is he pointing out her sin then? I mean, he's not, if he's not condemning her, why would he even bring it up? Because he knew, right? He knew the one that she was living with wasn't her husband. Because he wanted to get to the root of showing her that all of those relationships that she's been through, she was trying to fill that void. And it never would fill. All those relationships kept running out. 
But a relationship with Him is a relationship that never runs out. You see? And we go through life trying to fill our emptiness with different relationships, with different drugs, with different vices, with different hobbies, right? I, and I hear guys all the time say, you know what? I just like to be in a deer stand. I like to be in the woods. You know? And that's fine. If you're communing with God out there, that's great. But if you are hunting all the time to keep from coming to church or to keep from having a relationship with Him, to keep from reading the Word, you see, you're filling it with empty things that run out. Man, like he didn't have to pick on deer hunting, did he? Huh? Ladies, I just like to read these books. They fill my time. They make me feel warm seeing how other people fall in love. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, some of them there's something wrong with. Don't get me wrong. Huh. My grandma used to read some of those things, right? I got you. Anyway, most of them, there's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm taking that and I'm using that to fill the emptiness that I feel inside because I don't have a confidence in my relationship with Jesus, it's all empty. It's going to run out. See, we have to fill our heart with Him and not with these other things. And so when we try to fill it with other things, we're actually pulling apart our relationship with Jesus. And that filling of our heart is done in our worship. You say, oh, well, I come on Sunday morning, I come on Sunday night, I come on Wednesday night. Done. Three worship times a week. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is something that I do all the time. It's how I live my life. It's turning my focus towards God, right? And as I do that, He fills my heart. So we worship Him with all of our heart, that place of the Spirit. But secondly, we love Him with all of our soul. We love Him with our emotions. This is that seat of the emotions. This is where our feelings comes in, right? And listen, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you should feel something. Now listen, I'm going to get caught sort of in between Baptist churches and charismatic churches this morning. Sometimes in the Baptist church, I don't have to feel nothing. Jesus ain't a feeling. You're right, Jesus is not a feeling. But you should feel something. Because it is a major transformation when you give your life to Jesus Christ. It's not a small thing. It's not a, it's not a trial. It's not a, I'll test, test my toe in the water and see if it's warm enough. This is a major transformation. Giving your life to Jesus is like going from uh, Flint, Flintstones to a Ferrari. Y'all get that? Anybody remember the car that the Flintstones drove? Huh? Actually, that was him bowling, wasn't it? I don't remember the sound for the, the Flintstone car. But you go from pushing a bicycle with your own feet you get in a Ferrari that goes zero to 60 in, oh my gosh, right? That's a major transformation, isn't it? Giving your heart to Jesus is a major transformation like that. It, 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 the two things are not the same. So you will feel something. When you move into a relationship with Jesus, you will feel something. But you won't feel something warm and fuzzy all the time. You see, just in case y'all thought I was getting too charismatic, right? He doesn't move in your life, and, and then all of a sudden, you just feel rainbows and butterflies all the time. Hmm? I'm, just, I'm just happy. I'm just a grinning idiot all the time. Look at me. That's not the way it is. Sometimes life is tough, right? Your emotions take a roller coaster. But your feelings shouldn't control you. You see, this is one of those places in the Bible where heart is used to describe your soul or your emotions. It says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Your emotions can deceive you. We, we go through this sometimes at the house. I'll give you an example. 
Um, my wife will come, come through the house, like let's say today, she might come through the house. She'll, she'll go in there and start cooking, and then she'll come and say, it is so hot in here. And I said, nope, 68 degrees. Well, I feel hot in here. That is a true statement. Huh? Because you got in there, you started working in the kitchen. You got, you got physically hot. You feel hot, but it doesn't mean that it is hot. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes your feelings will out to you, not just physical feelings, but your emotional feelings. Sometimes you wake up, you're just in a bad mood, and nobody ain't done nothing to you, right? I'm just grumpy. I mean, not me, but hypothetically, some people do this. Your feelings will lie to you. Nothing's wrong. And, and sometimes, ladies, I'm just going to be honest, sometimes y'all feel stuff, and I'm like, really? My wife will say, I just know she doesn't like me. Hmm? I can tell she doesn't like me. How can you tell that? Well, I was standing there, and I, I was walking down the hall, and she walked down the hall the other way, and she didn't say anything. I said, when you said hello, she didn't say anything back. Hush. Huh? That changes everything, doesn't it? Because that lady is at home telling her husband, that lady, she don't like me. And he says, how do you know? Because I was walking down the hall, and she didn't say anything to me. Right? Sometimes our feelings get out of whack. Guys, if you want an education on this, there is a video on the Internet. It's only like a 30-second investment. I may have told you about it before. It's called It's Not About the Nail. It's Not About the Nail. N-A-I-L. Do yourself a favor and watch that sometime. Okay? She doesn't want you to fix it. She wants you to understand. Right? That must be awful. <laughs> Guys, y'all ready? Let's all practice. Guys, let's all practice this together. Y'all ready? That must be awful. Say it. That must be awful. Women, you're welcome. I'm, I'm helping you out. Okay? That must be awful. Our emotions will lie to us. Our feelings will lie to us. But they are involved in the way that we worship Jesus. Right? Because we feel something. We feel joy. Joy is a feeling. And that's a very godly feeling. Empathy is a very godly feeling. Concern for other people is a very godly thing. In fact, think about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. A lot of those are feelings, right? Those are feelings or things that come from a relationship with Jesus. If you don't believe it, what's the one verse that all kids know, but not John 3.16. I thought all kids knew that, but not so much. The shortest verse in the Bible, John 11.35. You might know what it says. Jesus wept. Jesus felt, right? And if we have a relationship with him, we have to worship him with our feelings. We have to overcome those feelings that try to control us and then focus on the feelings that he puts inside of us, like joy and empathy and concern and those things. So we, we love him. We build our relationship with Jesus, not just in our heart, not just in our soul, but also in our mind. And this represents that physical part of us. And this is the battlefield that most of us deal in every day. You see, this battlefield is the one where Satan is most likely to conquer you. You see, this fleshly, this most shallow level is the level that Satan deals in. He was given terrain, over his terrain is this world. He was given dominion here, right? And he walks around prowling, trying to see who he can get. He's like a, a lion. And so a lot of times in our mind, we get controlled by worry. We get controlled by our desire for approval. We fear what might happen. We live in a 
in a trap of shame or guilt. Listen, in fact, in the very beginning, God sets them up in the Garden of Eden. He says, look, all you have to do is just this one thing. There's only one rule. Just don't eat of this tree. Do anything else you want to. Just don't eat of this tree. Satan comes along and says, that's not really what he meant, is it? I mean, he just doesn't want you to be like him. And boy, then our pride steps in. And I say our because if we'd have been there, we'd have done the same or worse, right? Our pride steps in and we say, yeah, you know, I can do this. I can do this. That pride is the very origin of all the rest of our sins. In fact, when Satan tempts Jesus later, he tries to tempt his pride, right? Hey, let me take you up on this temple mount. Look out here. I can give you all of this, right? I can put you in charge. Everybody will know your name. Jesus isn't tempted. But we are because we battle in this battlefield. So some of the ways that you can deal with this battlefield of your mind is, first, don't always trust your mind. You say, well, I know this. If you find yourself saying the words, I know, a lot, chances are good that you're losing the battle of your mind. Somebody says something, you say, I know. I know. Don't always trust what you think you know. It's not always true. Secondly, don't fill your mind with other things. Now, this is different than the filling we were talking about before with your spirit. This is a practical filling, right? Don't, if you want to love Jesus, don't go home and worship the God of TV. You ever heard of the principle of garbage in, garbage out, right? If you read terrible things and watch terrible things and spend all of your time in terrible things, then terrible things are going to come back out. And third, don't be lazy. You say, well, man, that's harsh. This guy don't even know us coming here telling me not to be lazy. If we did a survey, your church would probably be like most churches where a good 95% of us have never read the Bible all the way through. Right? It's lazy. Because we all have the same time. I told somebody one time, he said, you need to read your Bible. And I said, well, I just, I want to, but I just don't have time. He says, you have the same 24 hours of your day that I have. We've all got the same time. It's priorities that we mess up, right? I find it a priority to take naps in my chair. I like that. That's called laziness. So don't be lazy. There is a, uh, uh, a Christian author, C.S. Lewis. Y'all just read some of his stuff. He wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. It's a fiction book, and it's the greatest book I've ever read on spiritual warfare. In that, there's a demon assigned to... Uh, mess with this Christian. And the book is letters that he writes back and forth to his uncle, who's like a senior demon, about all the troubles that he's having messing with this Christian. And he tries to tempt him with some of this crazy stuff, and the uncle writes back, he says, hey, don't try to go too far. He'll recognize you. Instead, just get him to read the paper. That was one of the lines I remember. Just get him to read the newspaper. Sometimes it's not bad stuff. It's just that we fill our lives with other stuff. We, we've got to meet him in the word. In fact, Psalm 1 says, I delight in the law of the Lord. I will meditate on it day and night. We've got to get serious about getting in the word. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we're to take every thought captive. If we couldn't take them captive, if we couldn't control our mind, it wouldn't tell us to do that. We have dominion over our thoughts. Satan is trying to tempt you to think other things. Right now, he's, he's trying to get you to think, man, he needs to be quiet. We're, we're supposed to be done now. 
right? Oh, I wasn't thinking that. Don't look at me. I wasn't the one thinking that. I told you, I started early. I'm, I'm going to get it, right? I'm playing. I'm not like that. I'm trying to finish. Every thought captive. Some of those thoughts you're like, I, I just can't. If you couldn't, it wouldn't tell you, take every thought. It doesn't say take most thoughts captive. Take every thought captive. Everything that you think should be directed towards God. Now, listen, I'm not one of those guys that like, Dear Lord, should I have McDonald's or Hardee's today? And then I wait 30 minutes trying to see if he's going to tell me whether a Big Mac or a Hardy Burger is better. So he gives you free will and stuff, Right? But sometimes we gloss over a lot of decisions that he should be involved in. So how do we make these decisions? First, again, we get in his word. Then we look for confirmation in the world. It says that his beauty is in the creation, right? And then finally, we seek wise counsel. These ways are ways that we take every thought captive and worship God with our mind. And then finally, I just want to tell you, he goes through this, this, uh, this commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? He gives these three battlefronts that, that we should love him with. And he says, and the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. How is that like the first one? He says, love God with everything inside of you. And the second one's just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That don't sound like it to me. One is love God and one's love people. Those are two different things, right? Except in Scripture, in 1 John 4, 20, it says that you can't love God and not love people says, if a man says that he loves God and hates his neighbor, he's a liar. So if we don't have compassion on the people around us, we don't have a friendship with God. My question today to close is, does your heart break for the people around you? When you see a bum on the street, do you judge him or does your heart break for him? When you get together with your family, we just came through the holidays, and you got that dysfunctional family, Right, I got one of those. And you got a, a brother or a sister that don't do right. They aggravate the fool out of you. Does your heart break for them? Or do you judge them? And how about this one? How about lost people? Hmm? The people that cut you off in traffic? I'm pretty sure they're lost. That's not what we're talking about. Hmm? <laughs> lost people. People that don't know Jesus. Listen, sinners are going to sin. That's what they do. But we're supposed to know better. We're supposed to take every thought captive. But those people that don't know better, does your heart break for them that they don't have a relationship with Jesus? Because if our hearts don't break for other people, we can say all that we want to about loving God, but it's really not true. The Bible says we're liars. Spiritually, we've got to pray. We've got to cry out. And there's that, that old saying, joy, Jesus, others, yourself. That's this whole thing summed up. Love God with everything that you got. Love others as hard as you love yourself. Man, that's a challenge because I love me pretty good, right? And then finally, you can show some love to yourself, but only after you love Jesus with everything in you. Guys, today, if you have never invited Jesus into your heart, today is your day of salvation. I said that at the beginning. None of the rest of it made any sense. You sat through the rest of it like, oh, my God, be quiet, right? Invite him into your heart. It is a major transformation. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Man, we'll celebrate with you. Today is your day. Give your heart to Jesus. But if you've already given your heart to Jesus, it's time for us to get serious about loving him. Because a lot of us are living our lives like, hey, Jesus, I want to be your friend. What's the minimum I can do? 
Do I really have to talk to you that much? How much do we have to hang out? Not into all that warm, fuzzy, feely stuff. You know, I'm a guy, right? We wouldn't come to Jesus that way, would we? We wouldn't come to friends that way. It's time for us to get serious about loving him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. That's the invitation today. I'm going to begin to pray, and the musicians can come down. I'll be down front if you want to come and pray and talk to me. But today is your day to move on your love for Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for how real you are and how real your salvation is. God, I pray that today we would be real about or intentional about our relationship with you, that we would truly give you our hearts for you to come in and clean out. I know there's probably somebody in here that came in today and said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here to hang out with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I'm, I'm here because my family goes here. But God, what we didn't know is that there was a divine appointment for all of us today. And you want to move in our hearts. And so, God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would do just that, that you would move on us and that we would respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.